Time flies, doesn't it? It seems to slip away. We're always pressed for it. Everyone's always pressed for time. There's never enough of it. We all wish we were better at managing it. And we imagine one day we'll have more of it. One day. When that thing in my life changes, I'll have more time. But the reality is we are always losing time. It's like a hole in the bucket of your life. You never get it back. It's the one thing of our time, talents and treasure that God gives. It's the one thing. We get good gifts from him. All our talents, the gifts, the abilities you have. You get the treasure, the money you have. All of it's from God. But time is the one you never can get more of. For birthdays, I get books. And because I have an interest in agriculture... I'm not sure if you know, but I grew up on a farm. It's a running joke around here. I'm supposed to mention that every sermon. For my birthday this month, I, I got a book, and it was on um, broadacre farming in Australia. Someone's done a photographic essay, expose. It was very interesting and very sad. Pretty much the second page in, and they, you know, like for me, like it's just wow. And my kids lit up. Wow, there were like there were 19 headers in the paddock. And uh, someone took a picture of Western Australian farm and, and they had this, this, this snippet of the farmer's life and he said he left home with $200 in his pocket. I don't know how old he is or how he started, but you could start farming those days with $200 in your pocket. And he went farming and he built such a big business. He's the largest grain grower in Western Australia. And he proudly can say he wasn't at home raising his kids. In fact, he was away from them a lot. But what he did was build a big farm to show them how it can be done in life, to go from 200 bucks to a big farm. And I read that, and I just nearly wept for his children. That's proud. That's, you use your time, your time of your life, that way, for what? It'll turn to dust. Someone will inherit it or fight over it. Now, I understand farming. Farming requires lots of money. But a tractor is a tool, a paddock is a tool, it's a tool for a greater purpose, all of it's a tool, in fact time is a tool, time is given to us for a greater purpose, to use it for something, to use it for something bigger than making more than 200 bucks. Friends, we're in a series just of three weeks, it's a mini-series here, so we usually do a term in a book, we preach through books of the Bible, just finished Philippians, if this is your first time here. But we're in a mini-series, and we're always in the Bible, even in a mini-series, even in systematic theology, even in topical preaching. And so we're going to be spending time in Psalm 90, because as we spend time in Psalm 90, and there's a dad joke for you to get, if there ever was one, not really, but today we're going to be thinking deeply about our time, because I think we often don't have time to think about it. Ironically enough, we don't think about our time, we don't put aside time to think about it, and I've got half an hour. Our series comes from our membership vows. So if you're a member of Reforming Church, we take vows that we say, by God's grace, we will give of our time and our talents and our treasure because God generously gives to us. The leadership writer Peter Drucker said, time is the scarcest resource and unless it is managed, nothing else will be managed. Since we can't get more of it, 
Let's go to Psalm 90 and see what we can do with it. So I do hope you've got Psalm 90 open. Because from the beginning of Psalm 90, the psalmist, and it's interesting who this psalmist is, if you see in Psalm 90, the psalmist says, the start of understanding the time of your life is to understand who God is. He is from everlasting to everlasting. In other words, I'm not, you're not. Psalm 90, verse 0, look at this, verse 0 now, you probably don't think of verse 0, but there is a verse 0. You see in Psalm 90 that your Bible probably has an emboldened heading. Those headings aren't part of the Bible. They're just, they're just translators or commentators' headings. Um, and uh, even the, the, the numbers weren't originally part of the Bible. That came in the Reformation. Versification came in the Reformation. But you'll see those. Perhaps your Bible has, in uppercase, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. That is originally in the Scriptures. That is actually the title of the psalm, and it's verse 0 of the psalm. And that tells us who wrote this psalm, and interestingly, who wrote it? Moses did. Now, what does that tell you? Psalm 90, a psalm written about time, a psalm written about our fragile lives, written by the man Moses. Now, when it says, uh, the man of God, that phrase is usually reserved for prophets. So it's saying, Psalm 90, by the prophet, by the leader Moses, but something else it tells us. This is the oldest psalm. This is probably the oldest psalm, because when was Moses around? Way before David, way before any of the psalmists. Moses was around. This is probably the oldest song, the oldest psalm for God's people Israel. He probably wrote it in the time of when Deuteronomy was penned, which is a series of sermons, and then when he wrote the, what, the first five books of the Bible out. So this is an old psalm, an old song, and it speaks from old time even into our modern time. This wording of this psalm shows a lament. The context, of course, if it's Deuteronomy, remember God's people, they're homeless, they don't have a place to live, they're wandering in the wilderness, and when they remember that they don't last very long at all, here is a psalm about how long God lasts, he's everlasting. Here is a prayer that goes to the everlasting God from a people who realise they don't last very long at all. Do we? Do we realise that? That we don't last very long at all? Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations before the mountains are brought forth. You are from everlasting, the psalmist writes, Moses writes. He says, verse 1, you've been our dwelling place. Every person who's ever lived on the face of the earth has lived there because God decided they would live there in that time, in that place. And that runs against our individualism and self-inflation of ourselves. We think, no, 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 I create my destiny. And this is preached in churches. You form your destiny. You create your world. Friends, Tell me, did you decide when you would be born? Did you decide when and where you would be born into this world? Did you plan that? Nope. Nope, did not. Not even the greatest, most organized person in the world, not even Peter Drucker, the leadership guru, decided when he would be born and where he would be born in the world. See, we have this temptation to sovereignty, don't we? I think I run my life. I'm in control. I run the world. Actually, that is the greatest lie of the world. It's not true. You didn't decide when to be born and you, you, you don't provide your own breath. You are fragile. You are dust. Verse 2. 
the psalmist writes, Moses writes. In Acts 17.26, it is God, in Acts 17 verse 26, who made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth and he determines their periods and their boundaries of their dwelling place. And here is Moses who gets this in ancient of days. In God's people, Israel lived and moved and have their being and we do too. We need to get this. We are just dust. Humanity is like milk. Um, Here at our church, we've got a little fridge and a big fridge. And it seems the little fridge might need replacing soon. Because if you leave milk in the little fridge, heads up, Cafe Crew's got a message. Don't leave milk in the little fridge. It'll keep it coolish for today. It just doesn't last very long. But that's milk's problem, isn't it? Like, I love milk. Who doesn't love milk? I mean, some people don't love milk, I guess, but I love milk. But milk is dangerous in a few days' time. You've got to sniff it, you've got to test it, and perhaps if you're not good at sniffing and testing, give it to someone else, you've got to taste it, put it in a cup of tea and watch it swirl and make it... Oh, we don't touch that milk. Humanity's like milk. How? You and I have an expiry date. You and I have a shelf life and it's not very long. Now, people go, okay, if, we, if we're like milk, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to freeze myself. Right? You've, you've probably heard of this, right? The rich people, it's always the rich people. The elite people who've got money to burn and go, I've got more money to burn, my fireplace is full, what am I going to do? I know, I really want to hold on to this life, so I'm going to freeze myself at the end of my life you know, I'm going to put it in a big freezer, Walt Disney's there and a few others, and we're going to get frozen. And then when science catches up with my frozen state, they're going to work out how they can thaw me out and I'm going to keep on living. The problem with that thinking is this. We're just still milk. We're still, as the psalmist says, dust. We're just frozen dust. Look, you can freeze milk. And it might last okay in a few months' time. I don't know, maybe this has been done. It's still milk. You can freeze dust, animated dust, which is a human. You can freeze us. You can thaw us out. We're still humans. We're still going to die. But God, verse 2, does not have an expiry date. You see, God is from everlasting to everlasting. And what does that do for us now? If he's everlasting and I'm not, it shapes the relationship of how we relate to life in this place. Remember this, we are merely human, we are dust. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. See, we are fragile and today we're here, but tomorrow we could be gone. Our lives are like sandcastles. You ever built sandcastles? You go to the beach and build sandcastles. What's sandcastle building like? It's a frustrating experience if you're really into building things because it doesn't last. And every generation, we're tempted to build our life like building sandcastles. Every generation is tempted to act like, well, I think we act like, this is no offence I think we act like youth to the previous generation, youth who are kind of the James Dean, oh, you, think, you know who James Dean is, 
We're rebels without a cause. We're always rebelling at the previous generation. We act with arrogance. We look at the previous generation with judgment. We assert things like we're on the right side of history. We treat ourselves and our generation like we've got it right and we're going to last and our ideas are going to last forever. Verse 4, that's just not true. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Do you see how brief we are? We read from Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter, Peter writes this, Don't overlook this, friends, he says. Don't overlook this, church. With the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Friends, what happened in the last thousand years? Here's a potted summary of the last thousand years in 30 seconds. The Roman Empire had already gone in the last 1,000 years. The British Empire rose, but then it brexited, stage left. Empires rose, empires fell, and some of us, we've never even heard of them. There were world wars. There was the Roman Catholic Church, then there was Reformation, then there was persecution, there was Dark Ages, there was Enlightenment, there was the Industrial Age, the Tech Age, the AI Age. As we heard, well, I read this morning in the news, that's coming next. But you know, over that whole 1,000 years, if we look at our history, wow, 1,000 years, over that whole 1,000 years, are but one day in God's sight. A day. We look at things like that with pride and achievement, and he says, it's just dust. Verse 5, the arrogant who look at God and say, I'm going to build my kingdom... Verse 5, no, 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 you sweep them away as a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. We are like grass. One of the things I think that men, I mean, men struggle with many things, but there's a common character of men, isn't it, in their 40s. And I say this as a man in my mid-40s. What is the character of men when they hit their 40s? They have a midlife crisis. And I know, you know, we men are dumb, right? In that sense, like, let's just, just live with the character. I'm really not trying to offend men. I'm one of them. Here I am, cards on the table. But I know the character is midlife crisis, men are dumb. We find the sports car or the, I don't know, whatever it is we need to have to feel young. Why do men do that? Why does the character exist? Because as, as dumb as we're supposed to be in the midlife crisis thing, men have worked out something subconsciously, frighteningly in their mid-40s. What have we worked out? We're going to die soon. We're not young anymore. It's over. The belief in our 20s that we were going to be invincible and live forever and I didn't need to eat healthy and I didn't need to work out and, and I, the inevitable is coming, it's gone. And then things happen. We, we, we build things, right? Men like build things. We build things at work and we build things in our family. We build things and all of a sudden, it's just taken away. Someone decides higher up on the food chain at work. No, nope, that's stopping. That's ending. Your job's over. It's gone. We, we build things and it's just gone. And men in their mid-40s have worked out, this doesn't last and I'm frightened. So 
So I want to say, let's give them grace. I know there's a caricature, and I'm not, I'm not, don't hear me as a man trying to, I'm just saying, I, I guess women would feel things too in different ways. But let's give one another grace because people are frightened, they realise how fragile we are. We are like a dream. It's not how it's meant to be though. See, we were designed for eternal life. We were designed to have a shelf life that would go forever with God, but sin shattered that. When sin enters the world, when human evil enters the world, everything goes sideways and south and bad ways. And sin means that life now is broken. It's awful for many people. It's brutal. Psalm 90 verse 7. We are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath and we bring our years to an end like a sigh. Sin is so present in our lives, it's present in our life till the day we die. The wrong in my life still exists this morning and it will exist on the day I die. So not only now do I see I've got two problems, or one problem, I've got two problems. The first one is I'm going to die. The second one is I'm a sinner till I die. Life can be beautiful for some people in this world. That's true. It seems like, another psalmist will write, the rich just get richer and can freeze themselves and their life is in their own hands and their destiny. But it's not true if you just scratch beneath the surface. Life can be beautiful for some of us at some stage in our life, but it can be brutal for others. It can be beautiful and brutal. Yet for all of us, it's brief. For all of us, it's brief. Verse 10. I think verse 10 is one of those verses it would be well to have written somewhere and remember this. And can I say to men in their mid-40s, this would be healthy for us to remember. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. That is, most of us, average age, it used to be of the Australian male, just because I'm an Australian male, I remember this one, it was 73. So you work at what age you are now and calculate. What that means is, again, last thing I'll say to the mid-40 men, I'm not trying to harp on, our life is half over. It's probably past the halfway point. Your life is half over. And look at verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or reason by strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger or your wrath according to the fear of you? Seven or eighty years and it's troublesome years. Do you realise how brief it is? Friends, one day, here's... I mean, our family, Amy and I, we're praying, we're planning that unless God changes things, we would love to stay at Reforming Church until retirement, if that's what God has for us. He's in charge, and we're not. Which means if that happens, and that's only an if because God's in charge, but if that happens, I'm probably going to bury you from this place or you're going to bury me. So one day, if we're still here, there'll be a funeral and... My body will be in a casket, perhaps here somewhere, wherever someone decides it should be, and it's going to be rolled out of here. And then we just wait for the new morning. 
But that's all of us, isn't it? John Calvin said that in his day, he noticed a lot of people, young people, would go to funerals and just think, well, I'm glad that doesn't happen to me. Now, it happens to us all. All of us here. You're going to bury me or I'm going to bury you. We've already done it. We're a church that's only 10 years old this February and we've already done it. 27-year-old Dawn. 70 or 80 years. 80 if we're strong enough. For most of us here, we need to realise our life might be half over, but all of us here, we need to realise this more so. Teach us to number our days, Lord. Verse 12. So, connecting words, so, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. What are you doing when you number something? Like when you count something, what are you doing? You're measuring it. You're measuring it like it's your treasure. Because you measure what matters in life. Like, you don't measure what doesn't matter. You get a, you get a packet of Smarties or M&Ms, whatever your particular flavour is. Does anyone here, I mean, I don't, I don't ask this just in case, but you, I'm generally guessing you don't measure M&Ms in it, but you don't count the M&Ms in your packet and quibble with it. Ah, M&M company, you said on the ad that, you, you know, no, no one does that. You don't measure M&Ms, but you measure what's important to you. We measure our bank balances. We measure our hours at work. We measure our rest time. We measure things that are important. And the psalmist writes, Moses writes, So Lord, if we are fragile, if we're dust, teach me to number my days. Teach me to measure the rest of my life and see how brief it is. And how do you best do that? Verse 13 and 14, by enjoying God. Verse 13, return, O Lord, how long? Look at the longing here of the psalmist. Notice he doesn't turn to, how do I measure my days? How do I number my days? I know what I should do. Find how I can have as much stuff and as much happiness and as much me time in the corner with my screen time as I can with my days. If I just find enough me time, that means I've sucked the life, the goodness out of life. That's not what he says. You will, in fact, you do that, you will not enjoy life and you get to the end and you'll turn the screen off and you know you've wasted it. No, teach us to number our days is this. Return, O Lord, is to look to the Lord. How long? Have pity on your servants. Verse 14, satisfy us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. We're a Presbyterian church and that might not mean much to you, but... For those of us who know our history, it means this. We have a few things that we hold dear that those who went before us in days before wrote down for us to remember. So things like catechisms we teach our children. And the catechism, the shorter catechism, there's the longer one, but the, as the name says, it's longer. So most people go for the shorter one. But the shorter one, and I didn't grow up in a Prezi church, but the shorter one, the first question is the most famous one. And it goes like this. What is, what is the purpose of humanity? What is the chief end? What is our chief reason for existence? And the answer is, do you know what it is? You want to know what it is? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. 
glorify God and enjoy him, to enjoy God. Who would have thought you could enjoy God? Well, the Presbyterian forefathers thought so, but they didn't make it up. Why did they say that? Because the Bible says that, because Psalm 90 says that. Where do you find satisfaction in life, a joy that can't be found anywhere else? It's actually in God. And people go, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. I mean, I pray and, you know, like I go to church and stuff. My life seems pretty mediocre. Yeah, because you're not focused on God. You're focused on yourself. You're grumpy and grumbling because you're totally focused on your own self. You're anxious and I get anxious. We've talked about this in Philippians. I get anxious because I start to focus on me. If I just focus on God, satisfy us. He satisfies. A relationship with God is not a, it's not like a transaction. It's satisfaction. Augustine writes in his ancient confessions, as he writes his own life, he's a person who had all sorts of problems in his life. And when he was converted, he writes his confessions and he says, my heart was restless till it finds my rest in you. He satisfies us. So satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. I want to know that you love me, that you're here, that you're near. Satisfy me. Justification leads to satisfaction. Time is ticking towards something. And that something is when we will all meet him. And for some of us in this world, that is a terrifying thought. But for those of us who know him and know his love in Christ, that is such a comfort. In our Lord's Supper, in a moment, we're going to say together part one of the Heidelberg Catechism. It's another catechism, it's another thing you can learn, you can teach your children. What is our only comfort in life and death? It's Him. And so verse 15, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. This is the people wandering through the wilderness, to the promised land. They don't have a place to live and they say, you are our dwelling place. Verse 17, let the favour of the Lord our God be upon us. Establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is a prayer for, for Israel's mission, but it's also our prayer. Exile is something that is huge in the Old Testament, but it still exists for us as New Testament people. What is the church in the world? We are, in a sense, not yet home. We're not yet in the promised land. We are, in a sense, exile. We're wandering in the wilderness, waiting to be with him forever. And so, establish the work of our hands, number our days, and our time on earth, reform our vision of time. Friends, we want to use our time well. Even those of us who waste time as a hobby want to use our time. Well, we don't feel good about that, do we? But we can't and we won't use our time well just by being taught to live by the diary alone. So I love being organised. I love books and being organised. I love books on, you know, I've got What's Next Best and the Dave Allen, um, oh, what's it called? Um, getting things done. I love all that stuff, right? But just 
organizing your life is not the end solution. It's helpful, but it won't reform your heart and your heart's vision of time. We actually need to see Jesus. Now, what's Jesus got to do with us seeing our time reshaped? Well, it's Jesus who is our dwelling place. It's Jesus who actually satisfies us. It's Jesus who also came to dwell us in time. Jesus is the one who is God who came to take on the dusty form of human. His days passed away under God's wrath, as the psalmist writes. His days passed away under God's wrath because he passed under God's wrath. On the cross, so that by the grace of God, we don't have to be dust anymore. By God's grace upon us, we've been given time to turn to God in Christ Jesus. Our plans and prayers at the ACM this year will look at how we use our time. And we'll be thinking about how we've focused and been satisfied in God that we can trust yesterday, today and tomorrow in the one who was and is and is to come, who has a thousand years in his view like a day. You can trust your life to him and you can find satisfaction in him. Jesus changes everything. Psalm 90 is now our prayer. To see the time of your life well spent. See, here's what we often think. We often think, I'll be able to use my time better when I have that new job. I'll be able to use my time better. I'll be able to have that life is better when I get time at the beach. I'll finally have joy. And there's not, nothing wrong with those things. But we actually won't see our view of time and our fragile lives change until we see that Jesus is better, that having him satisfies us, whether you get 70 years, 80 years or three years left. Jesus changes everything. As a church, that means a few things for us. Firstly, I think it means this. For us now, less time trying to find ultimate joy in unultimate things. Why spend your time in a midlife crisis trying to find joy in things you know won't last? For now, our earthly lives are measured by the eternal that's coming. Secondly, I think it means that we live in a world that is so distorted now by technology. So as I said, I read this article this morning on the news. I was just skimming through the news. I always do to see what's happened each day for my prayers and for our pastoral prayers. On the news this morning, I think it was the third article. AI is coming. And we're all being told how it's going to mean more time, more rest, more money. I'm yet to believe it. I still haven't seen a hoverboard. But the thing what technology does do to us, aside from the prophetic predictions, which I'm not sure we can count upon, but the thing that technology has already done to us, it's changed the way we use our time. I'm not against technology. I'm using it. But technology has a few things that changes and distorts time. Using a screen late at night, research suggests, use a screen late at night, you won't sleep well at night. 
But what it also does is this, it means we prolong time to going to bed. We're just on screen time and we stay stuck in screen time. We don't go to sleep, we don't sleep well, we don't use our time well. We also have less personal time with people. So just be aware of how does my time go? Where does it go? Which brings us to the next thing. Often we ask people, you know, could we, could we serve others or love others with our time? And they say, I'm so busy, I'm so busy. Well, maybe. I don't really like the word busy. That's just me. Um, I prefer the word limited. Because it says two things. People say to me all the time, I'd love to catch up, but you're so busy. So I'm actually not. Like, I can show you my calendar here. Pull it out on the screen. Here's the calendar. I'm actually not... Two things. I'm limited, and that means two things. One, I'm not busy. You're not too busy, because if I am too busy, it means I'm not actually managing my time well. Most of us don't manage our time well. We don't prioritise well. But the other thing about being recognising you're limited is this, I can't do everything. And I shouldn't do everything. Do you recognise that about you? You actually can't do everything. Which means... If we're thinking about our time and we're fragile and time is short, how do you use the time you have for ultimate things? Things that are Christ-related things. Because in the last day, books will be opened. Like I heard in our call to worship. And I don't think they're going to open the agricultural book on broad acre cropping. But I think someone's put their life in that book. It was a whole page, whole description of that. They spent their whole life at work. And I'm proud of that. But I think books will be opened. And we'll give an account for the thing we were given, our time, our talents, our treasure. How do we use our time, church? How do we use our time? Now we're saved by grace, not by performance. But the question is not about whether you get into heaven or not, of course. It's a question of reflection about how we should view our time now. We've been given time by God. To say I'm too busy is never get to the heart of the matter. Now we can say this. How do I use my God-given time for God-given priorities? And by the way, we're not saying, well, you all need to, you know, we'd have church every day and, and just come and have 24-hour worship every day. That's not what we're saying. How do I, am I sent worship during the week in how I work in how I serve my housemates, my household, my family? How do I serve my neighbours? How do I refocus the time I have with Christ-centred shape and priorities? How do I number my days? Well, he teaches us, doesn't he? He teaches us in Jesus. Let's use our time the God-given time we have to praise the God of time. Let's live our lives for him because we can. Because Jesus does change everything, including our time. Let's pray. Our gracious God, thank you that you give us good gifts. You give us time. Teach us to number it. Teach us to measure what matters. And we pray as we do, as we learn this as disciples of Jesus, that the Lord Jesus would come. Come, Lord Jesus.
And as he comes, establish the work of our hands. Satisfy us with your love and help us to show others your love in Christ in this brief time we have. So they now, in their season of life that is brief, that is like grass, that is so short, help them to see Jesus, to trust him and to enjoy time with him forever. Father, this is our prayer for ourselves and our region. Teach us to number our days. In Jesus' name, amen.